0: Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership, coaching, and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources— Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. does leading with your heart mean? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And in our interview segment today, we have Isaac Quiroga, who is a digital marketing expert and former vice president of the digital engagement group at Mattel. I love this man so much. We have been friends for over 20 years, and he has a very special place in my heart in terms of friendship and coaching and leadership and arts you know he he's a former singer as well like myself and i just think the world of him and his views and leadership in in many spaces i hope you enjoy the episode today and remember something powerful resides within you i'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it what does leading with your heart mean this is something i've been talking about on and off for the last 2 years And when I think of leading with your heart, I really think of empathy and courage and vulnerability. Many leaders right now are afraid of what's going on in the world, and our natural instinct might be to suppress that or hide it instead of having it be one of our strengths. So the three things I think about in leading with my heart, the very first thing I start with is vulnerability. The teams that I lead and work with are only gonna be as vulnerable as I allow myself to be vulnerable. So it's the idea that the more that you allow yourself to be vulnerable in a space, the more connection it will create and vulnerability in your teams. Now, I wanna remind us that vulnerability isn't disclosure. So this doesn't mean showing up and sharing all of my personal stories or hardships in my life. It might simply mean saying in the moment, I don't actually have the answer right now, and I don't know what the answer will be, but I'm willing to be in the conversation together. That might be really vulnerable for me to say if I'm not coming from expert or needing to have all the right answers. The second thing is active listening. When I lead with my heart, I am more interested in listening to hear and understand than to respond. So I find myself practicing active listening in many spaces where I really want to feel connected and with my heart wide open so that the other person across the table from me can really feel that with me. And together we can create a sense of connection through active listening. And the third thing is all voices matter. So leading with my heart means that my way is not the right way and that any voice in the room deserves time and attention just as much as my own. So all voices matter is really a foundational grounding point where I can remember that I'm inviting all voices to the table on purpose so that we can have open-hearted leadership together. Oh my God, Isaac, I love you. I love you so, so much. Thank you for being here. I have been excited to interview you for, uh, for a while now actually, and it took me forever to ask you. So, I'm just so honored that you're here. And I wanted to share a little bit of a story of our background because uh, I, like I like to share that with everyone who comes on. And our story is pretty special. I think uh-huh. out of everybody I've interviewed, yeah, like people people from home are always special. So I met you in, I'm not going to remember the year. I think it was- '99. Nineteen ninety nine. I was gonna say nineteen. First year of
1: college, babies. First year
0: of college. That's Uh right. And I remember. um, I remember the first time I met you. I walked into whatever class we were in. I'm not gonna remember the class or whether it was, you know, ear training or choir or whatever, (laughs) whatever we were in at New Mexico State University in our music program. But I remember meeting you and thinking, this man has such. A light in his soul. You were warm and loving and kind and bombastic. And um, I had never met anyone with such a fierce love of um, excitement and adventure at that point. Because, you know, I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and you grew up in El Paso, Texas, but I never met anyone that was so courageous to just try things like you were. And I fell in love with you deeply in that moment. And then, man, we got to know each other so well. <laughs> since, I know. Since so, which we we'll quickly
1: became good friends. I know. It was a lot of, it, like all that that you're explaining was just a bunch of unharnessed energy that was just all over the place. I, I couldn't contain myself. I was really excited about life. And then slowly over the years, I just learned slowly to harness it over time, which you, on the other hand, when I first met you, I remember specifically, I, well, I mean, I don't know if it was in class or whatnot, but it was in in the lobby and you were standing out there and I was like, who is this woman? She is a (laughs) boss. She is strong and I want to know her. I mean, not to mention gorgeous eyes, beautiful smile. I was instantly Uh attracted to you. So (laughs) I, you know, I think from there on, I was like, I need to, I need to be friends with this one. And, yeah. and I don't know, like what, 23 years later?
0: 23 years later, we are still incredibly close. I consider you one of my closest friends in the whole world. Same. Yeah. So thanks for being here today. I really yes. want to just share your story. And so obviously we were singers together for a long time. Yeah. And what I remember about your journey is that, you know, we went through a lot in undergrad around learning entertainment and learning how to be singers together but then i remember you moved to new york you were the first one out mm-hmm. and what what inspired you to make that move from a small town to new york
1: well i wanted to be on broadway <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's where broadway was right so i was like i had this passion to be on broadway and so there was nothing that was going to get in my way that was my promise to myself i was going to get on stage go to new york uh, and so there was real not really a question for me. That's where I had to go. And I remember like asking one of our professors there, like, oh, you know, I want to be an actor, I want to be a performer. She's like, Well, you better be prepared to, you know, be a teacher instead, because that's where we end up, the people who want to be performers. And I was like, I'm <laughs> never, I'm never gonna be a teacher. What are you talking about? You know, years later, she's probably right. But you know, I <laughs> I went over there to New York. Um, I got there scared out of my mind. Didn't know what i was doing i went with nothing i stayed on my friend's couch and i stayed there for six months living on the lower east side getting in lots of trouble going to jersey for a, a quick moment it was it was a mess i i got so scared i was like what am i doing here this is wild six months later i left i got out of there so fast and i and i came back i believe home probably and then you know my journey began where I started, again, either working as an actor or just taking small jobs. And then I thought, you know, the only real way to get me back to New York is to go to school. I think that's Mm. going to probably be the best way. So I went (laughs) because I was a really good student. I was like, I can do school. So (laughs) I went and I was like, okay, what schools in New York can I go to that can teach me how to sing, dance and act? Uh, And that Mm. was NYU. And I went to NYU for my grad Grad degree in, uh, in music theater. And that's where, and I stayed ever since, like, I think 10 years, 11 years I was there.
0: Yeah. You were there for quite a while. And during that time, it was such a journey watching you grow. I think, you know, when I think of leaders, I think oftentimes people think that leaders just become leaders when they get some fancy title or, Mm. um, are put into a leadership role. And what leadership did you have to have in your life to even go back to New York after trying it and getting scared.
1: I think there was a vision in my mind of what I wanted to be, where I wanted, what I wanted, what I wanted to be, what I wanted my life to look like. And I've always um, had that this, you know, blessing and a curse ability to be in the future constantly, which like my, my lesson (laughs) in life is constantly like be here, be now, be, and I'm always in the future. So I think that alone, just always having that vision of where I wanted to be and making sure that the present was matching that vision. It, I, I knew my steps. It was very clear to me. And I remember like friends even being like, gosh, I wish I had your clarity. Like, you know what you want to do. You, you you know, you want to be on Broadway. That's all you want to do. And that's what you're going to do. And that's it. And I was always like, "Yeah, there's no question. That's what I want to do." And I'm sorry that you don't know what you want to do because that's exactly what I want to do. You know, come to find out, it was just the, the light that was leading me there. Um, and I, but I've always had that vision. I think as as leaders, you know that 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 comes in handy. <laughs> I think as a skill. Yeah. But I think really, like leadership is really just the ability to influence others. And so you don't realize you're a leader until you realize that the things that you're doing and the actions you're taking are actually inspiring or influencing other people. And then you're like, oh, shit. um, Actually, what I say, what I do is actually having some kind of influence on others. So you, you kind of, you learn that along the way. I had no idea. I mean, I didn't consider myself a leader. It was
0: just... Well, and yeah. you were. Like, I think about your leadership back then. You know, you went first and there's not many people in my life who, um, at that time, I mean, I'm very much like you, right? Like I was always looking like 500 years into the future Uh for our vision and our life. And I think we're very similar in that regard, but I wasn't as brave as you were. And I have to say, watching you go to New York, come back and then go again and (laughs) tackle it. And when I mean tackle it, like you, like you killed it. Your performances were beautiful. You created this beautiful relationship with Drew. You um, you grew as a human. And you just really uh, fell in love with New York. And that had me enrolled in moving to New York. I moved there Ooh. because of you. Because you you, you said, come, come. And I kept going, nah, I don't think New York's for me. And sure enough, when I came. Um, you stayed longer than I did. I did. I stayed 14 years before yeah. I moved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what happened after New York? What was next? And what was the pivot?
1: So, you know, in New York, it's really funny, because I went, uh, and I went for my grad degree at NYU in vocal performance, two-year program quick, but I mean, they shove a lot in in that two-year program. I think it was just one of the best experiences of my life. I learned within the program, I was, you know, performing and on stage and being like, God, I love this so much. And then, you know, towards the end, I realized, oh, shoot, actually being an actor? Um is running your own business like you're mm-hmm. you have your own business you're not working for anybody you have to manage your own business and I realized I have no business acumen whatsoever. I know how to sync dance and act but I have no business acumen I don't know how to how to run my business I don't know what to do now. I don't know how to bring money in so that was my next path was build business skills and I decided I'm gonna get into the business workforce and learn some business skills so that I can be well-rounded as a performer and as a as a business owner entrepreneur it's so crazy that I'm thinking back when I was thinking that cuz I felt like I was just an idiot back then but yeah I guess I had the foresight to be like I I need these business skills and so I went into the workforce just as a temp in in like temp agencies really easy in New York and they kind of place you everywhere and I got this role as an ex- executive assistant as at um uh, you know, a preschool intellectual property owner called Tate Entertainment. It was an independent company. And I worked as an executive assistant there for a while as a temp. And then, you know, they, they like what I brought to the table. So they hired me. And it was the first time I had seen a paycheck. And I was like, you know, they were like, what do you want to get uh, paid for this? And I was like, I don't know, like 30,000. And they're like, uh, how about 50,000? And I was like, Great. So that's when the corporate golden handcuffs started in my life of like this. And, you know, I I graduated with like $150,000 of student loan debt. So, you know, that was Yeah,
0: from singing. Yeah.
1: NYU. Exactly. So I was like, you know what, this is going to meet my needs where I'm at right now. It was I was really good at school. And I was like, this is kind of like school. You're just like given these assignments and you're given these tasks and you just got to complete them. And I was good at it. And I just kind of you know, I was a team player. I, I worked hard at it. And that's what got me into it. And then, you know, 16 years later, I really went somewhere I didn't think I could even go to, but that's how it started.
0: Well, I, and I love how modest you're being, because I really want to highlight like zero business skills <laughs> and, you know, realizing that as a singer to temp, to top executive. At Mattel yeah right? it, so, it was
1: a so, good yeah I, I will say one of the things and this is for all artists out there like all performers all people with this education I mean the skills that you can build just in presentation alone presentation and being able to get up in front of a room and speak and inspire and entertain or whatever that is and just smile right and just just light up because that's what you learn how to do as a performer that will take you really far in business alone it's because you'll learn the skills you'll learn the practice but the thing that that really took me where i needed to go was my ability to stand up in front of a room and command a room and and make people believe that. that i knew what i was doing right so like It's it's a huge skill. So if you're an artist, a performer, you know, getting that background, it can take you such a long way. They're real skills worth learning because we get a lot of flack for like getting degrees in the arts. And I will say that it is that degree, those, those skills that I learned that has really propelled me completely in what I needed to do.
0: And propelled you into excellence and a top-level job in the U.S. market. And I really want to highlight what you said because, you know, I see both sides of the coin. And I'm I'm much like you, right, where everything that I learned in the opera world and in the singing world and through our education that we did has made me excellent in rooms with C-suites. And excellent in rooms with coaching organizations around culture. Yep. And so – um you know, I, I really I get I get asked that often. Like, what does an opera singer know about coaching C-suites? Right. And the the parallels around excellence and perfectionism and mm-hmm. overwhelm are just like embedded and in our education. All the
1: training, especially opera singers that get trained in being grounded, mm-hmm. in standing your ground, starting from here, and then out so. Like just the, and I see you in rooms. When you are there, you stand and you are like, nothing can push you. Like nothing can push you away. And And a lot of people, you know, they get on the rooms. They're like walking all over the place. They're somewhere else because they just didn't learn the skill of what it really means to just be grounded first before you, you project, like, know your why, know what you're doing, fill your body. And you don't learn that in business school. <laughs> you don't learn that in business at all <laughs> of like, just standing your ground and there and I observed a lot that way. People are like, gosh, you just bring this. You can get in a room and just kind of stand there and yeah and present. So yeah, I the the opera training you got, I think specifically for you is you being able to just get in front of a room and be grounded, which makes everybody else feel much safer. Much like okay. All right. Exactly.
0: And that is what it's about, right? When we're talking about leadership is inviting people in to be safe enough to find their own voices and their Mm. own grounding. Right. Which is something that we, I don't know if I take it for granted, but I do feel like we do it naturally because of how we were trained over oh, and over and over again. Right. It's kind of amazing. Well, yeah. and so the opposite side of the coin, cause now being a top level executive, um, you know, in the U S market and you were specifically in digital content. I mean, I know you moved around a lot, so what would you say your sweet spot was as yeah, um, so,
1: you know, I got into, um, so I started this independent entertainment company and then we were actually bought by uh, Mattel in 2012. And so that was my entrance into like real corporate world. So I got to, you know, kind of be grandfathered in, which was amazing because I don't know that I would have gotten a job at this amazing, you know, Fortune 500 company if I wasn't there and just got, you know, bought in. but. I was in broadcast distribution, meaning that I went out into the US and Latin America and North American market, and I sold uh, television shows to broadcasters. And I would go over there and say, hey, you know, put this uh, on uh, your broadcast platform because it's going to bring more audiences to you. And then the world of YouTube popped up and it was like programming. And it was like, oh, you mean you could just upload your stuff online and it can get seen? And this was the early days when, you know, there was more, more traffic there. But so... I Mm -hmm. got obsessed with YouTube and then the company realized there's a huge opportunity there and immediately I raised my hand. I positively raised my hand for that opportunity and I said I'll be your guy. I will be that guy for you. When I did that I think what was good about that is that I'm a huge researcher. Like I'm a again like you get with the skills that you learn in performing school it's like You gotta prepare, you gotta memorize all your scripts, you gotta like do all the all the preparation and rehearsal to put on a show and to get into character, you just do all that. So naturally it comes to me where I can I go in and I research and I memorize and I do all this stuff. And luckily, like you couldn't go online and look up broadcast distribution skills, you but you could go online and look up how, how to work on YouTube. Like, what is what is the playbook for YouTube? So I was there and I was like, oh, it's all the answers are right here. So you literally <laughs> do all that work and then you present yourself and you say, this is the answer to what we need. And so I went in there, I um, I established myself as the company-wide expert in YouTube. And, and that's what brought instant value to me. It was, I made sure Isaac equals YouTube. And from there, everybody, like you, I worked across all various types of brands which I was put in a really good position because since I was that company-wide expert everybody had to come to me to ultimately get a YouTube strategy to to get you know to understand how the platform worked and so you know uh, Mattel has you know hundreds of brands you know and, and at any given moment you're like working on 40 and 50 brands all together at one time but so I got to meet a lot of people I got to really interact I got to inspire them. I have the opportunity to get in front of the room and inspire them and say, you get to tell the world who you are on this platform because YouTube is a platform uh, to share your voice and Mm -hmm. you get to do that with your brand. So immediately I went into this world. I solidified myself as a YouTube expert. And then slowly more and more, you know, as YouTube started, you know, expanding in terms of the creator economy, you know, uh, working with influencers to create programs, to partner with them, that you had to do it better than us you know, that was an area where was like, well, you can't you do YouTube without influencers. So let's bring that. And so I, you know, I established a strategy on how influencer marketing would ultimately work within the company. And then from there, it was like, well, YouTube can't work alone, you need social media as a whole to make sure that the parents and the kids are together experiencing, you know, um, something together. And so that's when social media came around, it was blowing up. And so, you know, I ultimately ended up combining it all to create a a pretty amazing digital engagement group at Mattel, which at that point was, you know, I, I started with, I think, a network of probably under a million subscribers. And then from there on YouTube, it was, I think, by the time I left, we were at over 68 million subscribers on YouTube and then, you know, uh, over 55 million on social media. So it was, it was a pretty awesome thing. And then from there, I was so excited about it. I needed help. I started with a team of three people. And so as I kept going, I kept working with mentors and, and um, people who knew how to do it better in an organizational strategy. And I built a team. And then by the time I left, I had a team of 80 amazing wow. digital experts. So I got to go into the marketplace and I got to find the best damn digital talent you can find. And I brought them in and we, we, we built uh, an incredible competitive advantage in the marketplace. So I'm very proud of what we accomplished. And that's kind of that's kind of what happened <laughs>
0: um, as you should yeah. be. And I mean, man, Isaac, I just hear not only that um that visionary, forward thinking person that you've always been since I met you twenty three years ago, but it was like opportunity meeting vision and then innovation and creation and being on the forefront of industries that weren't necessarily mm-hmm. set up yet or were just entering the market or whatever, and that you were. You were able to be in relationship with those every step of the way, to not only pave your way but also bring that vision to life.
1: Yeah, super I, cool. It, it, yeah, it flashed before my eyes. To be honest, I, I sixteen you're, years. You're, I know, <laughs> sixteen years later, here ours. we are. But yeah, yeah, it was a, a very rewarding experience. Challenging but rewarding.
0: <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you, what were some of your top challenges that you faced as a leader that have been some beautiful lessons for you in growth along this journey?
1: I'd be mean, my number one challenge was myself is mm. I think the hardest thing to master in your life is mastering yourself. Cause as humans, we are just fraught with doubt and, you know, just all of the most negative things you could possibly say to somebody you'd say in your own head, or like you just, your time management gets away from you because you're, you you don't know how to manage yourself. And I think that was one of my biggest challenges is like, all right, I'm taking on all of this responsibility. I'm taking on more and more work. And uh, I'm not I need to meet myself while I'm, I'm doing that. I need to build my foundation. I need to build my sh- shoulders stronger so that I could take on instead of like, no, I can't do it, I can't do it. It was like more and more coming. Well, then what do I need to make sure that I can handle it, that I can stand that? I think mastering yourself is probably, first and foremost, one of the biggest challenges of being a leader is making sure that you are on top of you know, that overall. I think letting go is a huge challenge. Like as you start getting more and more control over things, as you grow in your career, you have to learn how to build and you have to learn how to let go. You have to give it all the love you can give it, give it all the attention you could give it. And then you got to build it so that somebody else can take it and take it away from you. And I have to do that so much because if you're taking on more and more and more, you're just going to keep piling on. You got something's got to give. So, you know, that was a challenge for me is like, how to let go is you know as things kept growing I'm like all right I can do this and and trusting others to know their place I think that was a a big challenge for me as well yeah and then I think I I think asking for help was another huge one like knowing when you need help because as lone people again we're like trying to prove ourselves as soon as you need help and or or like you're getting into this project and you know you don't know the things that you know I mean I didn't learn that until honestly later on down the road, but I think that was a big challenge for me is just asking and asking for the support that I needed to, to succeed.
0: Well, and how do you think that you harnessed all this? Like where did you learn these skills? Those are pretty, Those all three of those are very insightful. So how did you, how did you work on yourself and how did you learn to ask for support?
1: So that that's really funny because I'm not, As you grow as a leader and as a a person who inspires, right, you're no longer um, like a manager. You realize you step into this leadership position when your role is to set a vision and mobilize and inspire a team around that same goal. And, And there's some inspiration that has to take place. It's not just about setting the vision and letting them go. It's really about continuing to remind them and and inspire them to go in this world. And we're, you know, a manager role is a a guide role. A manager role is like, okay, the vision is set. So let me guide you along this journey. And here are the things that you got to get done to do it, right? So as a leader, I had to build a different skill set of inspirations, of of, uh, vision, of what it takes to be a leader. And that's when I started getting more involved in that. And I'm not saying this because you and I are talking, but- (laughs) something really changed for me when I joined the leadership coaching program that you invited me into. And that's when a mm. massive switch happened. And it happened. I I was going into there thinking that, you know, I was scared. I wanted to leave. I was scared because I couldn't do this anymore. And it was that coaching experience that helped me find the power within myself to believe, yeah, you can do this. Why are you giving this up when you built it for so long? And that that leadership program is what ultimately it was during that leadership program that I actually was promoted to vice president to manage this humongous team. So um, from there, you know, that's where you just start. And in a coaching program, it's all about just like, you know, it's about. Getting in your body more, listening to your heart, listening to uh, getting outside of your mind, like that that rapid mind that you had with, that was creating all these obstacles in your way. It was like, what are the obstacles and and deal with them? Just deal with them. And so, it was. Uh, I think that was a major inspiration for me to to really look deeper in what I was capable of. I came out a fucking badass leader.
0: You did. And you already had the qualities there. But what I love about this story is the leadership program that you joined is accomplishment coaching. Mm -hmm. And it has a bunch of coaching (laughs) the entire year. Not only are you being coached, but you're learning how to coach and be that visionary guide, uh, manager and CEO in one, but also just really lead from your heart. And I I remember watching you that year and just thinking how magical it was that you were willing to lean in and trust yourself and see that in yourself and really own that you could be a top executive in the world coming from El Paso, Texas Mm -hmm. and having gone through your journey that you've gone through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, what I love so much about it is not only like when you think about coaching, you know, a coach is there to reflect back to you. Like it just like holds up a mirror to you. And as a boss, you don't really get that a lot from your employees like getting feedback from your employees as a boss is like they tell you all the good things that you want to hear because so like you don't get that like tough love that feedback of like actually you said you were going to do this you didn't do this and so like it just holds up a mirror and it shows you who you are in in a sense And, and you help discover yourself a little bit more within coaching which which i really appreciated and then but i think the most powerful thing about coaching is it takes you outside of who you are and like I said before, you know, you have all of these doubts that come in, constant negative thoughts that are that are holding you back. But they're, you know, they're negative. It, it, we say that they're negative, but it's just a survival mechanism. It's just like you as a human, you you are taught different ways or conditioned to survive in the world and you protecting yourself. And that's all that, that it's doing is just like constantly like, are you sure? Are you sure? Protect yourself, protect yourself. But what it what coaching did for me is like, it just elevated me outside of myself. We were talking in a different higher level conversation. So instead of like, okay, so what are all your fears? Well, I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared of not you know, making enough money. I'm scared of not being good enough. I'm scared of you know, all of these various fears. It was like, okay, we could go in and tackle each one of these fears separately or get out of that conversation and we can put a different perspective on it. What if all of this you're doing is a calling? It's it's a service towards something bigger. What do you think about that? And all of a sudden, all those things that I was like paying attention, to, I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about that stuff because it's, if this is a service, if this is a calling, then you know this is what I'm supposed to do, and I I can do it. I could put you know I can I can get better at it, and so it was just. It was uh, it was such a magical experience because you don't realize the real power you have inside of you. And once that's unleashed, it's, it's an awesome Ooh, unstoppable. Experience. Yeah, yeah. Pretty <laughs> cool. I
0: have a I have a couple questions that just because I think your perspective is really unique, you know, and, and where you come from and your background that is adding into it. What do you think is changing in the culture of leadership? And how that relates to even social media and the, the digital world, like, like, what do you think is coming? And since you are always on the forefront, what do you see for leadership in that space?
1: So it's not just a trend, right? It's not like, because in, in so, so I was leading a big marketing group and we're always looking at trends and, and, what, and what consumer needs are, where the market is going. And there was this trend of personalization that's coming forward. Personalization is customers expect you now to know exactly what they want and to give them exactly what they need. So it's a very personalized experience. Where before it was kind of blanket, it was broad, it, you know, but now because of you know the dawn of the internet, because of, of different customizations you can make of different tools, you could do that. But in corporations, and this is what faced a lot, is because of the scale and the size of corporations they tend to treat everyone as this group right as just this and and i think now as leaders it's not the same anymore you you this new generation expects a unique experience expects you to meet them where they are each individual person every every employee has certain needs has certain wants and uh and I think that's where leaders have to adapt to. Is this generation is not going to just keep taking the same old stuff that you've been putting on them over time. They want you to listen to them. They have voices now. They they expect you to, to meet their, you know, I don't know, want to call it demands. But you know, what when I heard of a demand, it was just them giving me feedback on what they wanted. And so I got to experience what what they were really interested in, what drove them, what motivated them. And I think as leaders, we really got to meet with our individual team members as humans, meet them where they are and start from there. Because I think this blanket approach anymore – It's just not going to work. I think more and more employees are leaving companies because of that, because they're just being looked at as this like factory worker within an organization. And, you know, they're not giving a purpose for what they're doing. They're not being given a a goal, an individual goal for themselves. So I think that's probably where leaders are going to really have to adapt. And it's harder so you have to get really empathetic leaders that can talk with individuals and meet them and not think of it as a big pain in the ass cuz it's a lot of work it makes it a lot more difficult when now you're having to work with people individually and so it's a it's a different adaptation
0: i love that and i i know that the culture you built you know with your team was solid because i remember even meeting a few of them on and off over the years and how much they adored working with you. And they Mm. adored, it's almost, it was amazing to see a company that actually had people that would show up from commitment and love and passion and drive. And you really curated that. And so I wonder what you would say to leaders who are struggling a bit right now, because one, one of the things I'm talking to executives all the time is, they're tired of attending to feelings. Like that's what I hear a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, we're tired of listening for two years, and we need to get back to productivity, and it's not working. So, what would you say to those that are still a bit resistant, a resistant to integration of all of this? <laughs> I don't mean
1: to laugh, but I'm like, fucking, come on, give give me a break. I like, <laughs> what drives a human? What what like? Productivity, great. So like start an automated factory somewhere and get that going. But what is business? The key business factors is people, product, and process. Process, product, great productivity. People is a humongous key business factor. And if you're not willing to put in the work to make sure that you are growing your people, a, a, the, the most important part of your company, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. However, I will say, find out what motivates people. What inspires them? What 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 whether it's more money, whether it's a, a great place to live, whether it's more flexibility, whether it's what whatever that is, whether it's a purpose, you know, the why behind what they're doing. I'm not just talking more plastic. I am improving the world. I'm making the world better. So it's it's about it's truly about, I don't know, and you know, I, I think people hear this a lot and they're sick of hearing this purpose-driven culture, but I think it's, it's true because we as humans are waking up to this experience of like, you know, I, I have a place and I have a role in this world and I wanna, I wanna be proud of it. And so what I, do, what I do matters and I want it to matter. And I think, you know, as leaders, if there's one thing you can do to create productivity is to be really clear with your purpose, with why you're doing things. And, and it's, I think that really does motivate people. You know, it can't be too fluffy. It can't be like, you know, I think people read right through the bullshit when you're just saying, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't need to be cussing a lot on-, on
0: Oh, the, you, on can, the you can, you okay. can, there are no rules here. <laughs> you no,
1: know, I, I think people will read through the BS of like, you know, a, a high level purpose statement so I think really it is up to you to generate a, a really effective purpose statement for your team and mm-hmm. for your your company, so that they're motivated and they kind of know what the end goal is. That they know the role that they're playing matters in the world for the for for contributing, uh, you know, to a better mm-hmm. place. That's what we kind of all want.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It's so inspirational, and it's something that. You know the C-Suite Collective is practicing every day and what we what we stand for with leaders everywhere that we're coaching and working with. Mm. Yeah. I love it. So I, I what what's one dream you're going after next? So what's next for
1: So one thing I've never done is entrepreneurship. Mm.
0: I've have, I've have never
1: well I have entrepreneurial, well, you experience. did as a
0: singer, right? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, that's true. but I
1: never like actually i so I did that on the side and I was you know performing and whatnot, but like I never got I, I wonder what it would look like. So I kind of I'm kind of like come full circle now I was like, okay, I learned the business skills. I mean, it was a boot camp, and I came out. I feel like I could do anything. I mean organizational strategy, management strategy, people, strategy, systems, strategy, marketing strategy, like you know go, it, it's setting objectives and goals, and meeting them like it's, I have these skills now and I think entrepreneurship really excites me about, um, you know, working to either start your own business or working with a variety of companies, working with a variety of people that are outside. I think one of the things like as an actor before as a performer, one of my hate routine is. Like routine, if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, I just start feeling icky. And I love that about being a performer is that you finish the show, you got to do another show, you finished the project, you got to do another project, you're always just like, it, it never was the same. And I think that about the corporate world kind of annoyed me because it was just like, okay, you're there every day, you're doing the same thing. So now, can I go out into the world with the skills that I have, and work with a variety of different companies, a variety of perspectives, you know, and that's what I think is exciting for me because I get to develop visions for companies and I get to meet them where they are. And then I get to bring that together to create, you know, the, you know, to meet the vision where they want to be. And I, I, I think that's probably
0: my next path. I think. Woo, welcome to business <laughs> consulting. Woo, so everybody who's going to sign up for it. Isaac <laughs> will add all his information in the show notes to reach out to him about consulting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I have to start at really first. Mean. We'll see. I've been taking a <laughs> a good a good break. I've just been playing house husband, literally just cleaning and <laughs> cooking and yeah. being here at the home and seeing what's around me and finding what my true interests are. It's been heaven. So, I'm not that much of in a hurry to go back into it, but I will be there again because I I do love it so so much. It excites me, challenges me.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for your heart. And thank you for being the kind of leader that's so grounded that you would be innovative and brave and courageous in your, the trajectory of your career, but also even in what's next and slowing down and knowing when to listen again. It's really, really beautiful.
1: Thank you so much. And Elena, yeah. to you, I mean, I can't, you know, if I can acknowledge you for a little while, it's, it's just, you are home to so many people like your eyes pierce through people's souls and they make you feel immediately safe with you and i think that's such a humongous advantage you have as a leader making people feel safe i think the love that you have your like heart is just yearning to give love and like the people you're with can feel that and all people want us to be loved and they feel that with you so i appreciate that about you as well and i mean overall i think like you're Emotional intelligence is off the charts in terms of like being a highly emotion uh, rational thinker, and then also being like the range of like of a deeply sensitive artist that has emotions, and okay. and I love that because it's a rainbow and it's a spectrum, and I think uh, that is another humongous um, leadership advantage that you have. That you know your limits, you know all the range, and so to that, you are such a valuable leader in this world.
0: And I'm so grateful to call you my friend, and I love you. Aww. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you for coming on and sharing your gifts for the world. You, I
1: love bet. you. All right.